With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is the Christian Contrarian. I'm Gary Wayne, author of The Genesis 6 Conspiracy. This is episode 14. And the subject of today's show is continuing with Satan and the hierarchy of the gods. In previous shows, we talked about many of the players and including Satan. And we're going to continue in that conversation today so that people can better understand not only the players, but the organizational structure. So we can better understand where we came from, what happened in prehistory, what happened in history, what's going on in today's world, and how all of this affects the end time, and so that we can further understand what is going to take place in the end, in, in the end time, because so much of the language and the allegory and prophecy is rooted in history and in prehistory. And in previous shows, we talked about Satan as being the god or the prince of this world, and that's recorded in John 12 and 14 and John 16, 2 Corinthians as well. And the word prince goes back to the word archo, which is the base word for archangel in archaeology and archon and arches and archives and so many words that are rooted in prehistory that all have important meanings that most people overlook. And in this case, we're looking at Arco as part of Archangel, which as we learned in previous shows, Satan was not only an Archangel, but a Seraphim, a Cherubim, and the High Priest, and also the God of this world that we talked about. And we also learned that in Revelation 12, that Satan is called the devil and a serpent and a dragon, with a dragon being uh, the image of a seraphim angel, which is a fiery serpent-faced angel, and a dragon is a seraphim angel with wings, so a heavenly dragon, so to speak. And he's also called the devil, and these terms that are used in Revelation 12 that provide so much information and meaning to us are important to examine as, as we roll forward on the hierarchy of the gods today. And so in Revelation 12, we understand that Satan is the leader of the angels. I mean, it's implied throughout the Bible, but clearly when there's the war in heaven, he becomes uh, or is presented to us as the leader who is leading this rebellion as he did in prehistory. So as before, we're going to have another rebellion in the end time. And we're also told that uh, devil, as we take that back to Greek, is diablos. And part of that meaning of diablos for uh, Satan is that he's also the prince of demons. So the bodiless spirits of the giants that we've talked about in previous shows, he's also the leader of that. So he's the leader of the angels, the rebellious angels, and the demons. And obviously, by extension, as we talk about this, 
the hybrids and the Nephilim and the Rephaim after the flood and all those who carry water and work in their organizations and believe and worship in in uh, Satan. So we're going to continue to talk about this, but now we're going to talk about it in a little bit different manner. And I want to introduce Ephesians 6, which again we've talked about, but what's important there, it says we, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. And this is about that hierarchy and that it's about these spirit beings, whether or not they be demons and or angels as they are in the spirit realm. And of course the demons are bodiless spirits that aren't allowed into heaven, but they are still on the earth. And so when we understand that this is a spiritual war that's led by the rebellious angels from the spirit beings in heaven who also have as at the bottom of the hierarchy of that angelic realm of that immortal spirit realm of, re of rebellion are, are the demons. And so this is important to understand because in Ephesians 6 we're provided with the terms like principalities and powers and rulers. And in 1 Peter 3.22 we get authorities. So there's a whole bunch of different sort of orders, angelic realms, seemingly hierarchies that isn't this sort of disorganized uh, organizational chart. It actually has a kind of an order and we're told about that order as we search through scripture. So it's important to understand the hierarchy to the rebellion that took place, the hierarchy that's in place on the earth today and how that's going to roll over and all come together in the end time. So today we're going to cover about, we're going to cover in detail some of that hierarchy, including the beast empires and the beast religion which also goes back in into prehistory so as we dig into this i want to dig into uh, an allegorical part that's a significant role in this allegory and also important in understanding just who satan is and this is that very very interesting word that a lot of people sort of mix up and i've talked about in some of the different uh, shows but it's so important to understand that and in the hierarchy and some of the allegory for end time prophecies and so in isaiah 14 12 we get the term lucifer uh, son of the morning, which is Hel-El Ben-Shakar, and the root Hebrew word is Hel-El, who I think is the name of Satan. But as you take that back to Hebrew and its definition, as Strong's provides it, we also learn of an allegory named Hel-El, H-E-L-E-L, -E -E as opposed to H-E-Y-L-E-L, -E which is I think is the name for Satan. But this is the figurative or allegorical or metaphor for the king of Babylon. But we don't get Hel-El with H-E-L-E-L -E -L as, as that allegory used as a Hebrew word anywhere in the Old Testament, or at least that I could find. And none of my searches could find it. So there's an application here uh, that we need to understand in terms of how that allegory overlays and links back to Satan, and that we must understand that this is, should not be confused with uh, Satan. And so we're going to dig into this a little bit more and give you a little bit of understanding of what's going on here. So Hell El is an allegory in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 and elsewhere through the Bible, but those are the most 
clear examples and what we're going to cover today as opposed to every example. But it's an allegory in Isaiah 14 for the king of Babylon uh, that comes along in uh, verse uh, 14.4 and for the Assyrian in verse 28. And it's important that they're linked in that uh, prophecy and that's part of a larger prophecy that begins in Isaiah 13 and it's an end time prophecy and we're going to cover that off in, in, in a few minutes again. But this is an important understanding that this is the allegory for both Assyria and for uh, the king of Babylon and for in Ezekiel 28 the king of Tyrus. And it's important to understand in terms of context as to how that structure works with these individuals. So in uh, the Babel or the King of Babylon allegory, you have Nimrod as the first king of Babel. And Babylon goes back to Babel in Hebrew. And so in this case, in Isaiah 14, we also have a king of Babylon that's part of a current prophecy and you also have an end time implication in this prophecy and so when we look at uh, who the king of Babylon of that time and the prophecy would have been would have been Nebuchadnezzar in the end time is going to be applied to Antichrist. So what's going on in these dual prophecies as in Ezekiel 28 and Ezekiel 14 and other prophecies you get a distinct MO where you get important details and allegories coming out of prehistory, important prophecies for the time, in this case, of, of Isaiah and for Israel in terms of first Assyria and then the king of Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar. And then you get an end time prophecy as well. And in these two prophecies, we get lots of descriptions and information about Satan. So very, very important to understand that. And so the king of Assyria, I mean, you could pick a number of these kings because they're all hell elves. And I'll explain that in a second. And the city that's the capital of Assyria is Nineveh. And that's going to be important as I roll that forward to the end time prophecy in terms of its meaning, just as... Uh, Tyrus is the king of Tyr, and Tyr is the city is an important allegory for the end time as well because Antichrist is going to be, as part of the beast empires, succeeding these empires, succeeding the religion, and succeeding the cities and his end time cities of Babel City uh, in Revelation 17 and uh, 18 and also Jerusalem because first he's going to come up through the Babel system and then Babel's going to be destroyed and then at the abomination Jerusalem is going to become his city and that's one of the reasons why Babylon is destroyed by Antichrist at the end of Revelation 17. So as we understand that and we start to put that into focus in terms of understanding Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, let's just make a few more distinctions here so you know what I'm talking about in terms of the dual application. So in Isaiah 14:4, we know he's the king of Babylon. We also know he's the Syrian and he has these human-like qualities. But also in Isaiah 14, none of these kings raised their throne to heaven like Satan did. And none of them walked in heaven or were part of heaven as Satan was. Uh, there were wantabies or antichrist uh, figures, hellels, but they weren't in heaven. And they did not fall from heaven as Satan did, just as in 
Ezekiel 28, Satan will also fall. And just as in Luke 10, 18, you have Jesus connecting Satan to the one who falls, to Isaiah 14, to Ezekiel 28 and other passages as the one who was expelled and fell from heaven. And doing down the same sort of platform here in Ezekiel 28, we have the king of Tyrus who says, I, I want to be, the, I am God, I want to raise my throne to heaven, but I, he is still a man. And that's so important because again, it's showing those antichrist-like uh, tendencies, but as in Isaiah 14, this is for the current king of Tyrus and then an overlay again for the end time prophecy in that dual application with important information coming out of prehistory. And in this case, we learn that Satan is the one who walked in heaven and King Tyrus never walked in, in heaven and never walked in Eden. And... Tyrus was not a covering cherub or an anointed cherub, but Satan was. And Tyrus was not created perfect. And he was not cast to the earth, as we've already mentioned. So there's a distinction of what's going on. We need to separate the information for Satan, for a current prophecy of that period. And in this case, uh, you know, the Ezekiel 28 is going to be around the king of Babylon period for the prophecy, which, you know, again, why we have Babylon uh, and Assyria in the Isaiah prophecy, which happens a few hundred years before. Uh, and all of this sort of comes together in the understanding of what happens in the end time with uh, Antichrist. And in Daniel 7.25, Antichrist, with the full authority and power of Satan, is going to try and raise his heaven, his thrown into heaven to be raised up like God, just as Tyrus is talking about and just as what is talking about in Isaiah 14, they're going to fail. He's going to actually overcome some of the starry hosts, some of the angels loyal to God, as it's recorded in Daniel 7. But he's not going to succeed, as we learn in, in Revelation. And this is going to happen at the midpoint of the last seven years. After the fall of, or at the time the fall and the casting out again of all of the angels in Revelation 12. And if you look at the date where Israel, or Judah is going to run for safety, be protected by God, that's about three and a half years, just as the reign of Antichrist in Revelation 13 is three and a half years. And where he gets the authority from uh, the dragon or Satan to rule. And what is going on here is Antichrist is taking on uh, control over the end time world religion, which is part of that seven empire organizational structure that we talked about that are the metallic and the beast kingdoms, just as it's described as a seven-headed hydra dragon monster in Revelations. And this is the one that Antichrist is going to work amongst, along with Babylon, the, the religion, the universal religion that sponsors the world government that brings about the seventh uh, revived empire and revived empire of Rome and he's going to actually become Antichrist will actually become the eighth empire and king once he the ten kings hand power over to him again as described in Revelation 17 at the time of the destruction of Babylon and so as we lay all of this over 
is that these beast empires are all led by hell l or antichrist type figures and antichrist is another hell l figure as described in daniel 7 and in revelations and babylon city where the universal religion that roams that will rule from that antichrist rises up through and is sponsored by to negotiate the last negotiate the covenant of the last seven years is uh as as recorded in daniel 9 27 is important to understand what is going on here in terms of babylon and the sponsorship of, of the universal religion for antichrist so they're going to promote him up and make him famous through this treaty and understand that babylon city is has several allegories in it like it is called in revelations you know a city of commerce that's the allegory coming out of Tyr as a ship trading commerce worldwide uh, commerce city and it's the city of blood where all the blood of the saints are going to be found recognizing there's two genocides to happen in, in the last seven years one by Babylon then one by Antichrist and that's why Assyria is important coming out of these seven empires that we've described in previous shows because Nineveh is the city of blood in those beast empires and also we have Babel which is where the religion comes from and is the city of Nimrod so it neatly sort of ties back everything that I was talking about and why we need to understand these things in these kind of terms and so as we understand this is the hierarchy in terms of what's ruling over humankind at the surface but it's not the governance of the earth as ruled over by the spirit realm that Ephesians 6 was talking about that were, ru were ruled over by spiritual wickedness in high places and so when we understand that uh, this is what, who we're really fighting, we need to get behind that curtain to talk about who is guiding and uh, showing the governing bodies, whether they're kings or governments of the earth, they're all reporting to the spiritual realm and getting their guidance from them and just as satan gives antichrist his power this governance is giving those governments today and as we get more even more power as we get into the the beast empires of revelation 13 1 through 8 and clearly we know by then that Babel religion is part of it. She's the one who rides it in Revelation 17. And the dragon is the one who provides the power. And so these are the same beast empires of Daniel 2, which are the metallic empires, and the beast ones of 7 and Daniel 8. And this is where the Antichrist empire comes out of. And they report up, including Antichrist, will report up the ladder to the fallen angels and into that hierarchy that's uh, led by Satan. And Satan, all through history, has set up his throne as if it was a realm in heaven like God to sit in governance over this complete hierarchy. And that's why it's important to understand the counterfeit. Everything is counterfeited. This counterfeit uh, throne and rule that will come to an end in the end time and th this is the organizational structure that Satan rules over, which includes the principalities, the powers, the rulers, the fallen angels, the authorities, the demons. And now we're going to talk about how they organize this, these 
not only numbers of orders and groups of, of people, but we'll find out that it's a similar type of organizational structure as it comes out into the physical world in terms of how they align that as well. Very important to understand. So let's go to Psalms 82 to start to get an understanding of this. And that's when uh, we learn that God sits as judges amongst the gods. And this, these are the gods of the rebellion and the gods that Jesus or God is going to judge, as it says uh, also uh, in 82.1, and as it's going to be an inheritant, inherited by God and Jesus in Psalms 82.8, as it rounds out that wonderful prophecy and important detail of what's going on. And so these council of gods that God will judge are talking about these gods as the children or the sons of the Most High. So children, son goes back to the word Ben, Hebrew for son. And these uh, sons, or these gods that they're talking about, these sons, uh, gods goes back to the Hebrew word Elohim, which is plural. And so this is also called the congregation of the mighty. And mighty goes back to the singular version of Elohim, which is El, which is again for a god or a fallen angel. So these are not humans. And just as Jesus uh, testifies in the book of John, and uh, you can't change scripture. God has said there are gods, they are gods. And we get the Hebrew, which clearly defines them as gods. And this is the congregation that is ruling over the earth. And it's very important to understand that. So the organizational structure seems to be centered around what Deuteronomy 32 talks about. And in Deuteronomy 32, uh, you have uh, this uh, in verses 8 and 9, there's a very important verse that talks about the sons of Israel. And in some versions, it'll, be, it'll say sons of God, and I'll explain that in a second. And it's a time uh, when the earth is split up to either the sons of God or the sons of Israel. And it actually means both, and I'll explain that. So in the days of old, that would be in the time of Adam, as it talks about, uh, we also had this split. Uh, of the earth into 70 different districts run by these gods. And many of them probably were put into the abyss. So you're going to need 70 again that are going to be um, ruling after the flood. And the number 70 comes from the mount, number of sons born to Jacob in Israel in Exodus 1.5. We get the number 70. And also at Babel, we get the nations descending from Noah as equaling 70 again. So you get a consistency of the number and by extension, then we would, we would understand that the 70 would apply in the days of Adam and to the sons of Adam at that time, and that those nations would have been divided with the same number. Uh, because they're divided by the number of the sons of Israel born in Egypt to Jacob, who changes his name to Israel. And so in Genesis 10, we get 26 sons of Shem, 14 for Japheth, and 40 for Ham. And again, that's where the number 70 comes from. And so when we look at what is going on here, then we learn that these sons of Israel, as, as it's recorded in the King James Bible, in verse 32.9, Israel or Jacob, because they're, they're the one of the same, are called the lot of God's inheritance. 
And this is important because what it's talking about in De Deuteronomy 30, 32 is that not only is this about prehistory, before the flood, not only about after the flood, but also about the future inheritance for Israel who will inherit these 70 uh, governing nations because they are the one who will receive God's inheritance. And as Psalms uh, 82, 8 says, God will inherit the earth in the end time. Okay, and then it's bequeathed to Israel according to the numbers. And this is not a misprint. I know Israel wasn't before the flood and it wasn't created at the time of Babel. It's actually created later and Jacob takes the name of Israel later. But the word is actually correct in a double entendre. And it's important to understand this. So sons of Israel goes back to the word Yisrael, and it's a compound word, starts with a, a Y, Y-I-S-R-A-E-L. It's a compound of the word Sarah and L for God, and Sarah means uh, powerful ruling God. So, uh, so you powerful and ruling and combined with L is God. So they are the sons of the powerful ruling God, and that makes sense because when we're talking about the council of gods, these are the children of God and they are the sons of God that are described in Genesis 6, the same ones who rebelled. And again, they were probably replaced after the flood with all those ones who would have been put into the abyss. But there were other, obviously, angels that rebelled than just the 200 that Enoch talks about. And they would have been replaced with other fallen angels, rebellious gods, after the flood as that number of 70. And this is the same term used in Job 1 and 2 for the sons of God when Satan reports to God. And I wonder sometimes whether or not they're talking about the rebellious angels, but it's a generic term for all angels, whether or not they rebelled or not. So you could take that both ways. And again, the same language that's used in Psalm 82. So very, very important to understand that uh, Jacob has his name changed by God to Israel. And this phrase as the sons of Israel in Deuteronomy 32, 8, 9 is used in that sort of dual application where it goes back where we have information about prehistory. It has application for the time that's going on when Israel exists and it has that prophetic end time application as well. So very, very important. The sons of God and Israel using that application is 100% uh, exact. And you just have to understand and dig a little deeper to get the true point of the meeting. The meaning as to what's going on and then linking in other important passages in the Bible so that everything makes sense and you see the consistency in the application. So you have these 70 nations that are ruled by the gods. That's the council of the gods. And one should expect in terms of how they do things, and I'll explain this in a second, that these 70 nations would be subdivided into several different sort of groups and sections and smaller areas, just kind of how we see government, you know, where you have countries and you have states or provinces and then you, ha you have counties or districts or rural municipalities, municipalities, you have cities, you have townships. Again, that kind of splitting up of the world down as it works up to this hierarchy to the council of gods and to Satan at the top of those council of gods. 
and the kings also report up and the governments and the leaders of the governments report up in this. So one should expect that our governments past and present and kings past and present and future are going to be all followers of Lucifer or Satan. They like to call him Lucifer, but they're all part of this uh, organizational structure that we're fighting against and are the physical part of that representation on earth. But the true puppet masters are behind the curtain pulling the strings as to what goes on on earth as we covered in episode 13. And so you also would have, as you get closer to the top, and I think this is probably accurate, but kind of my speculation that you have a powerful seven uh, angels, just as you have seven angels of God recorded in Revelation 8, that um, um, couple of angels like Michael or Gabriel are, are likely part of. And this is also what's described in First Enoch, and I know that's not scripture, but I'm using that to describe as part of the counterfeit. Anything God has, a Satan will counterfeit. So one would expect that would be the same counterfeiting of the seven angels of God. He would have those seven angels, which all would be basically his important angels, and they make up that magical number of seven of the pantheons of the world uh, that are around the world, just to sort of tie things back together. And then Satan sits as God of this world, like God in this world, at the top of this council. But as we learn in Job 1 and 2, as when the sons of God go and present themselves to heaven, so does Satan. So even though he has temporary authority as the God of this world, he still reports to God and has to whenever God wants to or on a regular basis or whatever that structure is, but he reports to God as Job shows us. And that's why in Psalms 82, we see God sitting and standing amongst the council of these gods because no matter what, they probably have rules and regulations that they need to follow until they come back out in full rebellion in the end time. But in the meantime, God still sits over them, even though he permits them to continue to, to, to reign. And I'll give an example of a mystical organization, uh, which is all part of the web of these organizations. So give you an idea as to the structure and how occult the naming of this structure is, but it'll give you an indication of what I'm talking about. So everybody's familiar with the, uh, the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan. Well, they're led by one imperial wizard sort of a uh, hierarchical structure as a priest, just as Satan is a priest. This would be an allegory for the leader uh, as, as, as their divine representative or divine representative as a king. So everyone has that divine representative on earth. In this case, it's a imperial wizard. And he has 15 genies, which is comes from the Quran, which is jinn for either demons and or angels. It means both in there as it as it's described. And I think this would represent probably some of the angels that are below the seven. Now that wizard could be one of those seven as well. And again, all of that would report up to Satan. But where it's important is, is as we get down the line here is, and then underneath those 15 genies, you have a state, which is called a realm, and they're ruled over by a grand dragon and nine hydras just as Satan's a dragon in the Hydra beast empire. And then you have underneath that districts or dominions 
and they're ruled over by a grand titan, fallen angel, or Nephilim uh, as you get into the earthborn titans, and supported by six to twelve furies. Um, and below that you have a province, and that's ruled over by a grand giant or a Nephilim, and four goblins, which comes out of that fairy nomenclature, which is part of the allegory of the matriarchal line and part of the beings that were created in, as violations against the laws of creation before the flood, at least as they believe, along with the Nephilim. Because we don't get goblins in, in the Bible, but we do get elementals, which may be connected to it. Uh, and then you have below the province, you have a den that's ruled over by a grand cyclops and 12 terrors and two nighthawks. So again, you have all of these occult terms, but you see how they impose that governance from the spiritual realm of wickedness in high places and then exert that influence in all organizations, all government structures, because we're all sort of set up the same way if you take a step back and look at that. So this is, uh, ends the show that I'm going to talk about today in terms of that organizational structure that they have. And as we move forward, we're going to start connecting in a series of shows this organizational structure of players and how it worked in prehistory, how it worked uh, after the flood, how it works now, and how it's going to work in the end time. So we're going to start bringing these things together in a series of four that I think you're going to find very interesting. So thank you for joining me today and hope you enjoyed uh, this episode of The Christian Contrarian. I'm Gary Wayne saying goodbye till next time. Thank you. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.